I want to begin our study this morning by asking you to please turn with me in your Bibles to the epistle of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now I've heard this saying lately. I've heard many say this lately. Where has the year gone? Here we are already in the fall of the year, and it just seems that it goes so quickly. The holiday season, believe it or not, is already approaching. It goes so fast. Now, in fact, we do have a little one here, not that little one, but another little one here who is already now three years old, even approaching four, but she's three years old. And it seems like just yesterday... She was falling off this platform because she could barely walk, just, just starting to take a few steps. Time goes by in the blink of an eye. It goes so fast. But think about that for a moment. Three years old. Three years. We are here today because of a man who was written about, who ministered, who taught, who lived his life in the public spotlight for only about three years. And that was 2,000 years ago. Only about three years Jesus ministered in Galilee. Three years of a man's life 2,000 years ago, and yet we are here today called by His name. Called by His name. Claiming to be followers of Him, gathered together in His name. We pray to Him. We pray in His name. We worship Him. We glorify Him. We sing praises to Him. In fact, more songs are written about this one man and his three years of life and his birth to than any other man in the history of the world or any other topic in the history. Songs, paintings, all for this man that we know from just three years of his life. And although that is the entirety of his ministry, we seek to study what he said. We seek to study what he did. We seek to know what he taught. And still, it seems the deeper we look, the less we know. We study and study and seek to know the Scriptures, and yet it seems like we can only begin to fathom the the very tip of the iceberg of all that Jesus has done in just three years, 2,000 years ago. And perhaps the most profound part that we strive to study and understand is what He did when He died on the cross. It was a horrific death, a bloody death. But what was he doing? 
what happened on the cross. This is what we have been studying last week and we'll continue to look at today. And I don't want to apologize for the fact that it's not going to be fluff. Some of this is not easy to understand. It takes thought. It takes study. It takes attention to detail and language that is given. And this is why I asked you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. For Paul says here in verse 15, Be diligent. And the implication is that you're being diligent in your study. And that's why many translations Translate this study to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Now, admittedly, Timothy was a preacher, a pastor, and this was directed primarily to him, but it is to all of us as Christians. We are to be diligent in our study that we would honor God. And so again, no apologies that we're not having today a good-feeling message. We're going to look at some doctrine. Because it is my firm belief that as you know doctrine and as you know the truth, that will sustain you through hard times. That will help you in training your families That will help you in living a Christian life a lot more than telling you, well, just go on out there and be good and and try your best. No, it's the doctrine of the Word of God in our hearts and in our minds that enables us to live godly Christian lives, to raise godly families, to know what we believe and live it. And so I ask you to turn with me at this time in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians and chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We are going to look at a vital, central doctrine as we continue in the fundamentals of forgiveness. We saw, and I want to continue to remind you, under the heading, The Essence of Forgiveness, that we are all sinners. We're going to deal with that again today. We're all sinners, and only God can forgive sins. And we're currently looking at the existence of forgiveness, and we've seen Christ's alacrity to forgive sin, and Christ's authority to forgive sin. That is eternal God. He has the authority. And now we are looking at Christ's activity to forgive sin. And I just remind some of you who were here and some who were not last Lord's Day that we looked at the text from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26 and verse 28, where Jesus said in the Lord's Supper that He came to give His life for a ransom, for the forgiveness of sins. He came to give His life to shed His blood for the forgiveness of sins. Sins, His work on the cross, His activity on the cross was a sacrifice to God for the remission of sins, the forgiveness of sins. And this is what we saw last Lord's Day. 
from Matthew's Gospel. And here today, I want to go more deeply into His activity on the cross for our forgiveness of sins. As we consider today, His shed blood was for our redemption. His shed blood was for our redemption. Now I read to you already in your hearing the first six verses from Ephesians chapter 1. And what I want to do now is to pick up with what the Apostle Paul says in verse 7. And this is the subject of our attention. This is the verse that will occupy our attention today. In Him we have redemption. Through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. A powerful passage of God's Word. A verse in and of itself that could occupy our attention for several weeks. But I will try my best to deal with it in its entirety today. We are again addressing here the heart, the very heart of the gospel, the very heart of the Christian faith. And I want to begin by seeing that Paul says first, in him. And we cannot go by and not understand who he's speaking of. And so we must first address the object of his instruction in this verse. Now I mentioned to you that in the previous verses that we read, it is apparent that the Apostle Paul is speaking primarily of God the Father. He says in verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he mentions God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, but then seems to stress God the Father. Blessed be the God and Father, who is the Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So he's talking again about God the Father, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4. Just as He, that is God the Father, chose us in Him from before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He, that is the Father, predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed upon us, the Beloved. These are primarily praises and adoration to God the Father for all that He has done, for His mercy, for His grace, for choosing us in Him from before the foundation of the world. But now in verse 7, it appears that the object of His attention turns from the Father to the Son. It says here in verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood. It was Jesus whose blood was shed upon the cross, not the Father. 
So he is, when he says in him, switching his attention from the glory that should be given to the Son, which we should do, which the, from the glory which should be given to the Father, which we should do, to also now giving glory to the Son for what He has done. So when He says in Him, He is speaking now more of the Son, Jesus, who offered Himself up. So as we approach this text, we must keep before us that we are here now considering the activity of Jesus, which is our study. The activity of Christ to forgive us our sins. This is all that it's been leading up to. All this weeks of study in the scriptures that we've seen from God's word, that we are sinners, that we need redemption, that God stands willing to save, that Christ has the authority to save, shows us now the activity that he did to save, to forgive our sins. So let's pick it apart. Let's open it up and let's see what we find in this study. Our main point in the beginning of this text is what Jesus did to secure, as it says, our redemption. In him, we have redemption through his blood. It is important that we understand what redemption is. I dare say that as I engaged in the study of this text, and as I looked at what Paul is saying here, this is indeed the heart of what we believe. And it is the heart of what we believe Christ did. So I want us to understand what this word redemption means. We talk about it. We sing about it. We mention it. Don't answer out loud, but think in your mind, what does it mean? Do you know the meaning of the word redemption? It is true that we gain a lot from understanding what this word means. So I want to now paint a picture for you so that you can understand and always know what it means when we sing or when we speak of or when we preach on redemption or to be redeemed. Turn with me, if you would, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. The Gospel of John, Chapter 8. Listen to what our Lord says as we look down, and we'll just pick out this verse as he says in verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, remember that word, Amen, Amen. This is important. Listen to what I am telling you. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is, what? The slave of sin. 
the slave of sin. Everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. So now let me ask you this. Who commits sin? As we have seen in the scriptures leading up to this, everyone commits sin. We are born into this world sinners. From our mother's womb, we are sinners. A viper in the diaper. Sinners. We are all sinners. And Jesus says, the one who commits sin is a slave of sin. Paul picks this up and speaks about it in the passage that was read to us by Daniel just today. Romans chapter 6. In the kind providence of God, he read the entire chapter. Turn with me, if you would, please, to that chapter again. And I want to point just several things out to you from this text. Romans chapter 6. Look at what the apostle says in verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Slaves to sin. Now, let's pick up the whole passage. See what he says there. That our old self was crucified that our, our body of sin might be done away with. So let's, let's see, he's talking about what's happened, but back up and understand what he's saying. He says that our old self was a body of sin, and our old self was a slave to sin. Now he does go on to talk about after that, now we are no longer slaves to sin, but that's what we were. He picks this up again, verse 16. He says in verse 16, Present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience. You are slaves to the one whom you obey. Either sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. But let's just stop at the sin resulting in death. You are slaves to sin if you have not been saved. Slaves to sin is what we all were. Look down to verse 17. Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin. Look down again a little further. Verse 19. Presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. Verse 20. When you were slaves of sin. Do you hear it over and over again? Slaves to sin. Slaves of sin. Turn the page. Chapter 7. Chapter 7, down to verse 14. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. Here he speaks of being in bondage to sin. Now I've mentioned this, we've seen this, we've, we've looked at it, we've heard it. I want you to imagine for a moment what it is like to be a slave, given over to, owned by, governed by. And in every case, prior to your redemption, you're a slave to the evil one, 
to the devil. Men are slaves. And I want to take this word bondage for a moment. He said, I'm in bondage to sin. You are bound by it. You know what that picture is like? Your hands are tied. Your feet are tied. Perhaps many of you, some of you kids, some of you parents have seen a a movie or a TV show where somebody's walking down the street, a black van pulls up, the door swings open, three guys jump out, they throw a bag over someone's head, and they throw them into the van and they drive off. What have they done? They've kidnapped them. And they keep them in bondage. And what do they always demand to have that one released? Payment of ransom. But before that happens, they are in bondage, enslaved, in a cage. This is the picture painted to us in the scriptures of what our condition is like prior to being saved. We are slaves of sin. We are in bondage to sin. This is how we are born, in bondage to sin. And to be freed from that bondage, there must be a payment. Think of slavery again for a moment. Our nation went through a very bloody war to free slaves. The picture is enslavement, entrapment, bondage. And to be released, there has to be payment. Now I ask you to turn with me to another text, Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, where we continue in this. Look at verse 1. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also, while we were children were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. We were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. Now, when he speaks of the elemental things, he's not talking of the elements. Some of you kids may be in science class and you talk about the elements of the world, like air and fire and water. That's not what he's talking about, no. He's speaking about being in bondage to or in slavery to the things of the world, the sin of the world, the wickedness of the world. And this is every bit as much a picture of men being in bondage, and they would have understood this, Some of the Galatian Jews there would have understood that they were just as much in bondage as Israel was in bondage to Egypt. They were enslaved, in bondage to the things of the world. Now, I continue that 
and expand on it and say that not only are we in bondage to sin, but we know what sin is. Sin is a violation or a breaking of the law of God. So, since you are in bondage to sin, you are also in bondage to the condemnation of God which comes from sin. Get this? Because we are all sinners under the law, we stand in bondage to the condemnation of God upon the sin which we commit. His judgment, His condemnation is upon us because we are all sinners. The judgment of God is against sin and against those who commit sin. This discussion came up with one just recently. God loves the sinner but hates the sin is a common phrase. It's not true. God never sends sin to hell. He sends sinners to hell. His judgment is not upon sin. It's upon sinners. And so as a sinner, you are under the condemnation of God. You are in bondage to the law. Because sin is a violation of the law. All of this is a very dark and dire position. A very dark and dire place which men are. They are in bondage, in slavery to sin. And because of that, they're in bondage to the condemnation and judgment of God which rests upon them because they are in bondage to sin. Here is our dilemma. And to add to it, there is nothing you can do to escape. You're trapped in that cage. Your hands are tied. Your feet are tied. Maybe they're wrapped behind you and you're stuck in a cage and it's dark. And they barely even come and feed you. You're trapped. You're enslaved. You're in a cage. And there's no way to get out. What on earth are you going to do? You can't get out yourself can't do the good works to overcome your sin, you're enslaved to it, in bondage to it. Now go back to Ephesians chapter 1 as we see glory to God, what Christ did. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, In Him we have redemption. And I told you that we can learn much from this word, the Greek word apolutrosis means essentially a releasing, a liberation of a captivity by payment of a ransom. That's what the word redemption means. 
a releasing, a liberation from captivity by a payment of a ransom. That's redemption. You are slaves to sin, in bondage to sin, and you are set free, released by payment of a ransom. Somebody comes and pays the ransom to let you out, to let you go free. The ransom that you couldn't pay. Your hands are tied, you're entrapped, you're enslaved, you're in bondage. But someone comes and pays the ransom and opens the door and sets you free. This is the word redemption, a deliverance from bondage due to payment in full of a ransom. There's nothing more you can do, nothing more to pay. It's paid in full. The term supposes, this very term, redemption, supposes that we are in bondage and that we are then set free from that bondage. Delivered from the wrath of God and the curse of the law. That's what it's all dealing with. Redemption is being set free because your, your ransom has been paid. You're set free and you're delivered from the curse of God and the judgment of God from the law. You're set free from the law. You're set free as slaves from sin. No longer in bondage to sin. No longer slaves to sin. Yes, we do sin, but we're set free from the judgment and condemnation of God upon that sin because our ransom has been paid. Paid by another and paid in full. That is what it means to be redeemed. Isn't that awesome? Redeemed, set free, because someone else paid the ransom. Now, what is the price of our being released from bondage? What is the price of the ransom? What is the ransom paid? Right here in the text. In Him we have redemption through His blood. Through His blood. And that is, of course, referring to what we celebrated and remembered last Lord's Day. His bloody death upon the cross. That's the ransom price. That's the ransom demand. And that's what Jesus paid when he gave his life on the cross. He paid your ransom in his blood so that you would be delivered from slavery to sin. For weeks, we've been seeing that we're sinners. Passage after passage says we're slaves to sin. There has to be a ransom paid to set us free. And that's the ransom. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He paid the ransom for you to be set free from your sin. That is the activity of Christ on the cross 
paying our ransom. As he, in his sacrifice of himself to the Father, paid our sin debt to set us free from bondage. Freed from the chains of sin and death. Isn't that great? Hallelujah. Our ransom was paid by King Jesus on the cross. Now we are set free, no longer in bondage to sin, no longer under the curse of the law, no longer in condemnation, no condemnation. Now I dread Jesus and all in him is mine. My chains fell off. I was set free. This is the joy and the excitement that the reformers had. This is the joy and the excitement that we should have, knowing that we could not do it ourselves. We're unworthy sinners. But Christ paid the debt and set us free. Look at our Lord's own words back in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 20. Matthew, chapter 20. Jesus says himself in verse 28, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and look, and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus said, that's what I came for. I came to give my life. That's his death on the cross. His shed blood. I came to give my life a ransom that many would be set free. Not everyone. Not everyone is set free because of the death of Christ. But many are. Many are. And this is what he does for his people. He becomes a curse for us that our curse would be removed, that our ransom is paid. We are, in the words of the hymn writer, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The price is paid and we are set free. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. This is what the writer to the Hebrews says, in essence. Hebrews chapter 9. Speaking of the sacrificial system and the sacrifice of Jesus, he says in verse 12, not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained what? Eternal redemption. That's what he was doing on the cross. Offering himself to God the Father as a sacrifice and obtaining for you eternal redemption. You know what that eternal redemption means? Once you have genuinely been redeemed, you're never going back in that cage. You're never going to have your hands bound and your feet bound. You're never going to be a slave again, feeling the whip of the law and the curse of the law and the judgment of God. Those who say that once you are saved, you can lose your salvation. Do not know the scriptures. Because if Christ paid your ransom, 
You are eternally redeemed, eternally set free, not just for a week. And then you have to go back and get redeemed again. Not just for a couple of days or a couple of months or maybe a year or two. And then you have to be saved and be redeemed all over again. Eternal redemption means eternal redemption. Once for all, he sets you free. And when you are free, you are free indeed. That's what Jesus did. Now go back to our text. Verse 7. We have redemption through his blood. Look at what he says next. According to this text. Then. The forgiveness of our trespasses. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Now understand. Redemption is not, as one said, formally forgiveness, but certainly forgiveness is the result of redemption. The two are not exactly the same, but the two go hand in hand. Follow with me now. We have redemption through the blood of Christ. We are redeemed from the blood of Christ, set free from the curse of the law. Therefore, there is now no trespasses that are held against us. The law no longer condemns us. So since we are not under the curse of the law, we are forgiven. We are forgiven. Because Christ paid the price of our redemption and redeemed us and set us free, the law is now no longer condemning us, so we are forgiven. People, this is the heart of the gospel. Jesus paid that your sins would be forgiven. Jesus paid that you would be set free from the bondage and the condemnation of the law. And so, therefore, you are now, in the eyes of Jesus, forgiven, set free from the curse. They go hand in hand. You see, redemption would not be complete without forgiveness. How could God redeem you from the curse of the law and then still hold you guilty and not forgive you? They go hand in hand. Forgiveness, as one has said, is the effect of redemption. Forgiveness is the prime and principal fruit of redemption. We are forgiven because we are redeemed. I want you to think with me, if you would, please. In fact, let's do it. Let's turn back there. It's Leviticus chapter 16. So turn with me. Turn with me in your Bibles for just a moment to Leviticus chapter 16. What we have here in Leviticus 16, and I can only focus in very narrowly on what's taking place on this, the Day of Atonement. And I ask you, if you would, please look down to verse 6, Leviticus 16, verse 6. Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. Now, that's what we read about in, 
in Hebrews as well. The priest had to make atonement for his own sins. Christ did not. But look at what happens next in the Day of Atonement. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats. One lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. You've heard that term scapegoat. The scapegoat was the goat that would be led away. Look, verse 9. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell and make it a sin offering, shedding the blood of the goat upon which the lot for the Lord fell, shedding his blood. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it to send it away into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Now here's what would happen. They had two goats. One would be chosen by lot to be a sacrifice. Its blood would be shed. The other goat, they would pronounce all of the sins of the people over that goat, and that goat would be taken way, way, way out into the wilderness way too far for it to ever return. That was the whole thing. It was to never be able to come back. That was the scapegoat. The scapegoat took your sins so far away that they never came back. Now in Ephesians chapter 1, what he is saying is we have redemption. That's the picture of the lamb that was slain or the goat that was slain, and then the other goat, the scapegoat, takes your sins so far away that they never come back. That's forgiveness. So we have redemption and forgiveness, all because of the activity, the work of Christ. He redeems us from our sins, and they are then forgiven so far away that they will never come back. All those sins that you've committed in your life, all those times when you know you failed, when we talked about the law and the breaking of the law, all of the things that you know that you've committed in your heart against God, against man, against your family, against your wife. All those sins are paid for, ransomed by Jesus and forgiven because of His shedding of His blood for you. That's the heart of the gospel, folks. This is what Jesus did. There are many in churches today who don't care or don't understand or don't want to even understand what Christ really did. We need to know, we need to know that our sins are forgiven and and men aren't even being told that they're sinners. To know that their sins need to be forgiven. It has become almost 
a joke to go to church today in regards to doctrine and theology. And yet this is what we are to know. This is what we are to study to show ourselves approved. That we were once slaves to sin. And I can't take the time to go back to Romans 6 and show you how he says how you're redeemed, set free. We're set free from being slaves because of the work of Christ. He has redeemed us, set us free, and so our sins are forgiven. And then look at the last part of the text. According to the riches of His grace. According to the riches of His grace. We in our sin could never earn our redemption. We could never pay the ransom. We do not in any way deserve it. We're not so good that Christ had to die for us. We're not good people that are trying our best so God says you're doing all right and I'm going to do this for you. We're dead, lost, sinners, unworthy. And yet God in His grace came and gave His life for our sins. The riches of His grace. We are saved, as it says in the next chapter, by grace, not by works. And this is how we are saved by grace. Christ gave His life to redeem us, and we are then forgiven. How can we deny even looking at this text that it is all of God? All of God. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Who blessed us? God blessed us. Not a pope. Not a priest. Not a pastor. God. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He has withheld nothing from His people. Nothing. Just as He chose us in Him from before the foundation of the world. How could you have done anything there? Uh, how could that have been any, any part your work? And you weren't even born. The world wasn't even created yet. And yet God chose us to be with Him from before the foundation of the world. It's all of grace. All of grace. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love and that can only come as you're redeemed. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed upon us. Grace. Grace. God's grace, grace that pardons and saves from your sin. And so no wonder, Paul says in verse 7, to the riches of His grace, we praise Him. We praise Him 
for all that He has done. The riches of His grace are more than gold, more than silver, more than possessions. They are eternal life with God and Christ. I say to you today, some of you here in this place have never tasted of the grace of God. I tell you young ones, you kids, that you can be set free at an early age. You don't have to wait till you're an old man. You can be set free at an early age from the sin that you know you commit. Look at me, kids. You can be set free from the sin you know you commit. Jesus can set you free, redeem you, and forgive you. Come to Him. Come to Him. He will not cast you aside. He will not ignore you. Come to Him. And He will redeem you by His work on the cross. Let's pray.